You're listening to Hawk Talk with former Seahawks wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Play fake, going to roll right, dumps it off into the right flat to Michael Bumpus who bounces off a of one tackler, gets inside the 40 down to the 35-yard line. Powered by Seahawks.com. Matt Pumpfakes looking to the goal line. He throws it into the end zone. Touchdown Seahawks! It's Michael Bumpus with a diving catch in the end zone. A 10-yard touchdown reception for Bumpus and the kid out of Washington State has found himself a place on this team. Now, here's your host, NASA Chobie. Welcome into another edition of Hawk Talk. The Seahawks fall to the Buccaneers 21-16 in Munich, Germany. Not the result the Seahawks wanted. It was a fun week, though, across the pond. I'm not going to lie about that, but it was exhausting because, let me tell you something, me and my guy, Michael Bumpus, were working. Working. Woo! It was fun work, though. You know what I'm saying? But uh, it doesn't, you can't ignore the fact that uh, your body your body needs rest, and it's uh, it responds when it doesn't get rest. Oh, no question about it. We can talk about it because we didn't play in the game or anything like that. But we left we left on Wednesday at about one, and then traveled for about a full day. Then got our way over to the pub in Germany. The Seahawks took over the August Steiner Steiner uh, Stomhaus that we took over for a little bit there. Then Bump and Wyman hosted the Bump and Stacy show for two days. Tons of player interviews, practice, different pub events. But it was a fun time. Lots of Seahawks legends out there. Jordan Babino, Ray Roberts, Robert Turbin, Lofa, Leroy, Heater. All the dudes were out there, and it was fun, bro. Yeah, I mean, it was good. It was nice connecting with those guys. Again, a lot of those guys I played with, actually. I think all those dudes I played with, except for maybe one or two. Uh, nice connecting and just enjoying a moment in NFL history as well as Seahawks history. It was. It definitely was a moment. Unfortunately, the GOAT got us. The goat got us a little bit, so let's hop into yep. that. What had happened? See what had happened at first. Was. <laughs> what happened was. What had happened was. On Hawk Talk. Seahawks were riding high in a four-game win streak that finally came to an end, unfortunately, in a hard-fought, disappointing loss to the Buccaneers in Germany. Like we said, during the win streak, the Seahawks were beating opponents by ten points at least over that four-game span. So they were playing really good football. And I don't think the travel affected them. I just think they didn't execute. I think that was the difference. I think the Buccaneers had a good game plan, and they executed. And that was kind of the main difference in the game that I saw from my vantage point. And the offense didn't look like its normal self. First half, they punted on each of their five possessions. They only had 57 yards. Total yards and ran 20 plays in the first half. That's not what we've seen lately. They had not been shut out since the San Francisco game in week two. So definitely was a rough start that Seahawks had to try to come back from. Yep, tough for the Seahawks, but on the other side, Tom Brady and them boys look good, man. They have back-to-back drive of 13 plays, uh, going 88 and 86 yards. In the first half, the Bucs had 208 yards of total offense and then doubled the amount of plays by the Seahawks. They go into the tunnel at halftime, and it's 14-0. Second half, the Hawks come out, and you see a little life, right? They start working the ball down the field. They throw it four times. Had to settle for a field goal, making it 14-3, but you saw where they were going. It gave you some hope. And uh, things change just a little bit. Yeah, you know, they got two completions of Will Disley right off the bat, DK, Tyler, and then they kind of stalled. But like you said, they got three points. On the next drive, the Buccaneers continued to march down the field because they were able to run the football, and they continued to do that on that possession. And then they decided to run a little trick play. Leonard Fournette, a little wildcat formation, Tom Brady out wide. Fournette decides to throw a pass that is picked off by Tariq Woolen going against Tom Brady one-on-one in man coverage. We're going to break that down further in the coach's corner because as much flack as Brian Leftwich is getting and the Buccaneers are getting for even making that call, which I tend to agree with probably unnecessary, but we'll break down why it wasn't as bad as you think. And Tariq Woolen is just a man among boys doing things that veterans do, even though he's a rookie. 
And after that, you know, the Hawks would take the ball off that turnover, go 10 plays, 71 yards, their best drive of the day. But unfortunately, Geno Smith on a QB draw fumbled the football, and the Seahawks got zero points. And this probably was one of the biggest plays in the football game. Yeah, I think it is the biggest play. Um, they score right there. It's 10 to 14, and maybe the Bucks feel a little more pressure and the play calling is different. Well, that's not what happened. The Bucks went 11 plays, 87 yards. Chris Godwin got a four-yard touchdown. Um, and it was a questionable play because it appeared there was an offensive P.I. on the other side of the field. Um, the refs didn't call it. And I believe, uh, was it this game or some other game? Referees, don't ever question a referee. They're not going to give you a straight-up answer. And uh, that was a questionable thing now. Uh, when they scored, they made the score 21 to three. And it looked like the Hawks had some life in them. It looked like that they were going to make this thing interesting, which they did. They would go five plays, 77 yards, and it ends with a touchdown to Tyler Lockett. They went for two right there. So they would be down 10 instead of 11. But uh, that failed. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, granted, great to see on the drive. That was a big conversion attempt. Talk about big plays in the game because the difference yeah. between a field goal touchdown versus having to score two touchdowns is a completely different vibe when you're calling plays. But on the next drive, our guy Cody Barton made a first-career interception against the GOAT Tom Brady, so I'm hoping EK and the equipment staff was able to keep that football for the young man I because hope so. that is a career moment. That's something you can tell your kids about for the rest of your life that I picked off Tom Brady in the first ever game in Germany. Hawks will take that answer again, converting on two huge fourth downs, including one to Tyler Lockett, and then finish on a fourth and one to Marquise Goodwin in the end zone, making the score 21-16. Now, Bump, when we were watching the game, for fans' perspective, it's not like a normal press box, not a normal radio booth. You're kind of outside in the elements. Fans are around you. Everything's yeah. kind of out in the open. And it looked pretty bleak at 21-3, to but at this point, 21-16, the Seahawks have time remaining, Bump. We looked at each other we're like, okay, we yeah. might be doing it. We might Got be doing chance. it. Yeah, um, but the dang Buccaneers did exactly what they were supposed to do. Going a nice little four-minute drill. That means they take their time. They move methodically down the field, and the Hawks just weren't able to stop them. The Bucs finished with 419 yards, ran 74 plays, and went 10 for 15 on third downs. The Hawks were one for nine on third downs and lost the time of possession, 36 minutes. 223 minutes. They were bad on third downs. They didn't convert on a turnover, and they were out uh, possessed around 13 minutes. Yet they still found a way to keep it interesting and uh, kept us there, kept us on the edge of our seats until about a minute 30 left in the game. Yeah, that was tough. You really were hoping they could get a third down stop, and on that, that final drive, they didn't even get him into a third down, no. which was tough, you know. And I think that, and Pete Carroll talked about it in his press conference today, that's just, you know, that's how the Seahawks want to win football games. So it's disappointing. Unfortunately, the Bucks were able to get it done. But knowing, saying that, there was a lot of people who made plays. Touchdown, Seahawks! Playmakers. Showdown, what time it is? Holy captain! Geno Smith. Now, when you look at the stat sheet and you watch the game and everything, how the game unfolded, you would think he didn't play his best game, and he didn't. It didn't seem like the offense was in sync at the beginning of the game, but they found a way to make it interesting. They kept the Seahawks in it, Bump. And if you're going to tell me that's the worst game we've seen from Geno Smith this season, are you kidding me? I'll take that every day of the week and twice on every Sunday. Day. Yeah. 23 of 33, 275 yards, two touchdowns, four carries, 22 yards, QB rating of 115. Um, you know what I'm saying? So he now has eight games with multiple passing touchdowns where he only had seven 
in his first nine career seasons. So it's crazy what he's on. And like I said, at the end of that game, he kept his team in it. You could there, there was a rhythm there. They went up tempo. There was stuff that they've been successful with early in the year. So I equate it to like a pitcher in baseball who doesn't have his best stuff. Or something's not working early in the game, but the really good ones find a way to weather the storm early on and give you a chance, your team a chance to come back and win the football game. That's exactly what Geno did. And despite struggling a little bit in the first half, I thought he played really well in the second half and kept the Seahawks in it. No, I agree, man. 23 of 33. I mean, that's dang near 70% of his passes, two touchdowns. That's that's a Geno type of day. 275, two touchdowns. Um, if the run game got going, you never know what could happen. Uh, so, no, nah, I'll take that from Gino every week. And if we do, we're going to the playoffs easily. No uh, next playmaker, DK Metcalf, he had six receptions for 71 yards. Um, he was the most consistent guy out there. Did he get a flag talking to a referee? Uh, apparently, you can't say you or point at him when you're talking to a referee. He took that personal. But other than that, man, DK did enough to keep these guys in the game um, early and then in that third quarter, too. And I think that's when he had the bulk of his receptions, but no, another, another DK day just didn't score a touchdown. Yeah. He was playing. I mean, what I loved about it is he was aggressive. He, and he was into the game. And if we could have found a way to sustain drives, I think that uh, production is completely doubled because he was the only guy finding ways to get open consistently in the Tampa Bay defensive backs. I feel like they were lucky in the sense of the Seahawks couldn't stay on the field on third down because he was doing what he wanted to do reception wise. Tyler Lockett, three receptions, 42 yards and touchdown. Didn't do a whole lot. Had three receptions on, I believe, five targets. But he did have that one big touchdown to keep him in the game. Marquise Goodwin, two receptions, 38 yards. And the one big touchdown on fourth down. Marquise Goodwin, we got to – you guys had the opportunity to talk to him post-game live and in person. Number one, his fit is on point. Fit all white November. Woo, Marquise Goodwin knows how to dress, boy. But, no, it was fun (laughs) to hear his perspective and what it meant for him to score that touchdown – knowing everything he's been through with his family and the kid that they lost. And for him to get that, it's just really cool to see because he's a really good dude. Yeah, I shared a story. It was um, the post game was more like just a celebration of players and um, the opportunity just to play ball. You know what I mean? Uh, and Marquise Goodman was a was a good a big part of that. Uh, some other ballers, you got Jordan Brooks had another good day defensively 14 tackles one tfl one pass defended big third down he got pushed on a pi they just did not call it middle field he gets pushed but he keeps his composure then cody barton nine tackles one interception one pass defended probably cody barton's best game of the year uh, people have been critical of this dude but he's just stays the course uh, another good story we met his girlfriend and she is just a ball of energy so we got to share stories with cody i think that was again the theme of the post game right which is getting to know these dudes no question. Another guy that you guys had the opportunity to interview was Tariq Woolen. That was the second time that week that you and, uh, had talked to him, and he had three tackles, the one interception on Tom Brady, which is great to see. He's just consistent. He's doing his thing. He's playing good football. And before we get in the roundup bump, I had a question. So it's come up a lot. I'm looking at it. The field was a problem. Both teams yep. had to play on it. So there's, I'm not saying that as an excuse, but the field was a problem. From your playing days, I know there's, this has been a big topic of conversation, Field turf versus grass. Now, field turf in the long term can be hard on guys' bodies, knees, ankles, that kind of thing. Yep. But you know what you're going to get 99% of the time. This is natural turf. There's field turf. Grass, there's a lot of variables. The really good fields, yeah, you probably want to play on grass. But I don't know. What do you feel about the, the grass conditions in Munich and what you prefer to play on? Yeah, the conditions were not great. 
that field was built for soccer. It wasn't built for football. I even had to look up the difference between the grass in Europe and the grass we use out here in football. So they use something called perennial rye grass, and it's it's different. They say it's durable, but it's not the most durable. Um, out here, we use a couple of them, bluegrass uh, perennial, and then there's also uh, was a Bermuda is what we use. And it's it's a lot more firm, and you can beat it up a bit more. So those are just the facts. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. The, the, the turf was different. Okay, they're not used to that. And I'm a grass guy myself. I just, I like the give, but the problem with the turf we saw, there was too much give. You know, they're not used to the start and the stop of a football game. They're used to the ever flowing soccer game where you're sliding on it and you're not necessarily going 90 degrees left and right and all that stuff. So both teams have to play on it, you know, but if the NFL does want to go to Spain and France, like we're hearing, I think they have to either bring their own turf with them or make deals with these stadiums. No question about it. I think the one play that stood, stood out when I thought of that was Jordan Bricks also. Big third mm-hmm. down later in the game, and he slips. It clearly falls down, and it's a turf, you know. People would say, yeah. well, as an athlete, you got to stay on your toes and different cuts and stuff like that. But it was hard to see. And like you said, the Bucks played in it too. That's not where the Seahawks lost. But it's one of those things when you play games, when you have these millionaires playing, when you have all the work that goes into a game, I don't like ever having the conditions outside of, you know, weather or snow have anything to do with anything. Right. These guys are too good, too skilled. We want to see them battle it out as they do. Bump, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but what did you see out of these receivers on Sunday? Receivers, DK, we talked about him. He was the uh, the most efficient guy out there. Six receptions, 71 yards. Kenneth Walker had 55 yards, so that's another game with him having over 100 yards of total offense. He had um, – no, actually, he did, man. He had 10 carries for 17 yards, so he didn't reach 100. But reception-wise, he had six for 55 Tyler Lockett, three for 42. Talked about him. Marquise Goodwin had two for 38. A big touchdown. Noah Fan had three for 15. Uncle Will, two for 15. And Kobe, one for seven. Thing that pops up there, just the tight ends. We didn't get as much as we usually get out of those guys. They did have the targets for two and three. So nine out of the three, a three average. But, yeah, we just didn't really get what we're used to getting out of those dudes. Yeah, we didn't see as much 13 personnel as we've seen previously, and you can tell by the production. I feel like the Seahawks tight ends have been averaging around eight receptions for 100 yards, so hopefully we can get back to that in the next matchup after the Seahawks take this bye week. Let's hop into the coach's corner. We talked about it a little bit earlier. We say we get back to it. It's Tariq Woolen picking off Leonard Fournette against Tom Brady. Yeah, I know it sounds weird, but that's what happened in Munich. Another Wildcat snap. It's picked off. Fournette throws the ball. He did throw back. To Tom Brady, who fell down at the five. So the Buccaneers go to the well trying to trick the Seahawks, and Tariq Woolen picks it off. Now, Bump, talk, walk us back through the play and what you heard from when you interviewed Tariq Woolen after the game about this play. All right, well, this play happens because of the way Tariq Woolen played, excuse me, Tariq Woolen played um, this exact kind of play earlier in the game. So what happens is they're in a two-back look, but it's a wild cat. Leonard Fournette has the ball. He's got his running back to the right side. So last time they got into this wildcat formation, all right, Leonard Fournette runs like a little outside zone type of look, and Tariq Woolen just flies into the box trying to make a play. In his mind, in the interview, he goes, I'm not even thinking about Tom Brady. They're not going to throw him the football. So what does Byron Leftwich do later on the game? They say, okay, he's not going to guard Tom Brady. We got something for it. 
right? So you got a three by one, but your two receivers are closer to the line of scrimmage. You got a receiver and a tight end, and then you have Tom isolated all the way to the left by himself. You got Leonard Fournette and shotgun running back right next to him and a running back to the right. So they get the direct snap and Leonard Fournette runs like he's doing like an outside zone look. And without looking, he just assumes Tariq Willis not going to guard Tom Brady and that he's going to fly into the box like he did last time. But Tariq kind of slow plays it right pre-snap. He walks in and gives Leonard Fournette that same look. So at this point, Fournette's like, I don't even have to look over there. I know what he's going to do. I'm just going to turn and throw that thing. And that's what does. He gets to the right. Tries to toss it back, and Tariq Woolen was just patient, getting into a nice little turn and run look. They throw it out to Tom Brady. I guess they didn't watch the Super Bowl when he dropped the uh, the double pass, but they said, look, we're going to do it again. And T. Wu goes up there, snatches it out there, and, of course, Tom ain't going to tackle nobody, so he trips him. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about this play, too, is everything that you just said is completely on point. But at the beginning of this play, to Leonard Fournette's credit, is Tariq Woolen is playing this like he's an outside backer. He's nowhere near Tom. Yeah. He's creepy. He's almost at the numbers. He's pointing out there, but he kind of takes a couple steps. And like you said, running backs aren't used to playing quarterback. They're not used to reading no. defenses or any of that thing. So he, it was a predetermined, like he's in Madden. I'm throwing to Y regardless of what happens, right? <laughs> and then the other thing, too, what I what I hope it's both. It's a both thing on each side, quarterback, running back. So it's a lot harder to throw the football as a running back. But Tom Brady, respect your receivers out there. Having to adjust to the ball when the ball's not right where you're going to yeah. do it because he the ball's a little bit underthrown. And what happens to Tom? He doesn't adjust to the ball. He's not a receiver. He just falls down. Nah. You know what to do. It gets real <laughs> when that football's in there. Yes. <laughs> Everything speeds up. He goes down, and like you said, trips him. I'm happy they called that one because I believe he tripped Shelby Harris in the opposite end zone earlier in the game. He did. They didn't call that. Tom has actually been tripping a lot of dudes this year and hey look you dirty say, out there tommy not boy not gonna say anything tom brady is the greatest quarterback of all time that's still the case but guess i'll what? say it he low-key dirty out there <laughs> but guess what <laughs> you cannot get right against Tariq Wong because he got locks got the clamps and man we have not had to do this in a long time bump after a four-game winning streak the clock ran out A knee taken by Hundley. They're just going to let the clock wind down. Pete's not even going to bother taking that last time out. All right, man. Clock ran out. No victory formation for us this time. And the Hawks just couldn't get right against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. You knew from the start this was going to be a different game. You felt the way Tampa was just moving the ball. And then you felt kind of the frustrations in the offense with um, Gino and the guys. So it just didn't feel right, man. The Bucks came out running the football. They averaged 60 yards per game before this. They went for a buck 61 on these guys. So that was a good adjustment by them. They're like, all right, this team's going to expect us to throw the ball a lot. We threw it 58 times last week, 44 times the week before that. Um, yeah. So just a good adjustment by them. And then, the, and then you go 10 for 15 on third downs. Not good. It's a hard, it's a hard formula to win on if you're the Seattle Seahawks. It was tough. They go in turn, go one of nine on third down themselves, and they just couldn't overcome that slow start. They were down 14-0 at the half, and right when they started to get things going offensively, there was a crucial turnover, and they were two plays away. Paul Moyer talks about it's, you know five big plays in a game typically changes the outcome. In this game, it might have been two or three. It's the fumble, yeah. and just at some point anywhere down, they're getting a stop on third down. The Seahawks were unable to do that. You flip it on offense, like I said, one of nine on third down. It's not the right recipe for, for a victory. But, bump, the Hawks are 6-4. and four. It's time to go to the bye week, relax, 
kind of figure their stuff out. And I think there can be really big things ahead for the Seahawks team bump. Seven games left. I mean, we already claimed them a good team, but they're going to the playoffs. It's just how many more games are they going to win? So I'm excited to see what they can do post-bye. Yep, let's go. Get healthy this week. Come back ready to go. You got a team that you should beat in the Vegas Raiders at home. Let's get it. Need to do it. It's been it's been real. It's been a long week of travel and doing all the kinds of stuff. So we're going to take a little break from Hawks Hawk. We'll talk to you guys next week. For the remainder of the week, though, you can listen to Michael Bumpus on the Bump and Stacey Show 10 to 2 every single day. Until next week as the Seahawks take on the Las Vegas Raiders, he's Michael Bumpus. I'm Nasa Chobie. You've been listening to Hawk Talk, the recap edition.